thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. Harry's is so confident you'll love their blades that they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com fool. Just pay shipping. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. Earnings season is in full swing, and in this episode, we'll be looking at the latest quarterly results from leading streaming video service Netflix. To help me break down the big announcements and news from the company, I've enlisted the help of Fool.com contributor Danny Venna, who's joining us via Skype from San Diego, California. Hey, Danny, it's been a few months since you joined us here on the Consumer Retail Show. Great to have you back. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm glad to be back. So I know you've been covering Netflix for a while now, so I'm excited to get your thoughts on their latest release. But before we do that, I wanted to pick your brain really quick on Amazon. So the company's been making a ton of headlines the past week. First, they announced that the location of their future HQ2, their headquarters, has been narrowed down to 20 locations, three of which are close to Full HQ here in Old Town Alexandria. Those are Washington, D.C., Montgomery County, Maryland, and Northern Virginia. And when Asit Sharma and I first covered this news last year, We mentioned Denver and Raleigh, North Carolina, as other likely candidates for the new headquarters. And those also did end up making the list as well, not to mention bigger cities like Chicago, Boston, New York, and Los Angeles. But the actual news I wanted to hear more about from you, Danny, has to do with Amazon's latest experiment in brick-and-mortar retail. So their Amazon Go store has finally opened to the public as of yesterday at the company's Seattle headquarters. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about this store of the future concept and what they're trying to do here? Absolutely, Vince. So last year, um, Amazon announced that they were going to open something of an automated store. What they were looking at doing was they were going to use a combination of um, artificial intelligence, some um, a combination of sensors, and they were going to use these to blanket a store. Um, so that that store could be completely cashierless. Mm-hmm. Um, they had some troubles with it initially after they in- first rolled it out. Um, they were planning on opening it to the public in the spring of last year. They ran into problems when they had more than 20 customers in the store. It would the system would malfunction or crash, um, which is probably not you know what they were looking to do. Mm-hmm. So then you know they put off the you know, the big grand opening. Um, they finally announced over the weekend that they were opening the, the store in Seattle to the general public after testing it for the last year on employees. And so that that uh, store is open as of yesterday. Yep. So uh, wh- about a one-year delay, um, but I don't think the people who have uh, had an opportunity to actually shop at the store. Too disappointed. It's pretty small. It's only about 1,800 square feet. It's stocked with things that you would expect, snacks, some prepared food, beer and wine, uh, typical inventory for for kind of a convenience store like this. But keep in mind, there's no cash, no cashiers, no registers, no shopping baskets, no shopping carts. Um, and what you have is uh, a whole uh, host of cameras and sensors kind of positioned throughout the store to track shopping activity in addition to the check-in essentially kiosks at the front of the store when you come in um, you log in with your amazon account and then as you t- uh, place items into your own bag uh, or backpack however it is you're going to carry your stuff out of the store um, they'll be tracking that with your amazon account and then 
they're still employees at the store, but their roles have kind of changed. They're restocking shelves, they're helping customers, checking IDs for alcohol, um, purchases, for example, and also preparing food for sale in the kitchen next door. So the early reviews and response that I've seen to this Amazon Go shopping experience are pretty positive. Um, customers seem to be talking about how strange it feels to just walk out of the store without having to wait in line or to take out their wallet. And I think um, that's definitely could be considered a step change in convenience that if you have the right product selection, you have competitive pricing. I definitely think a store like this can build a loyal customer base for the company. But last point for you, Danny, how does Amazon Go fit into the company's strategy going forward? Um, Management has definitely never been shy about experimenting, testing new ideas. Uh, Is this about the sensors and cameras, the technology behind that? Or is this about establishing a larger physical retail presence? They have some of their bookstores that they're they're pushing out, I think, to almost 20 stores in 2018. Or do you think this is maybe something else entirely? You know, Vince, Amazon has been delving further into the world of artificial intelligence. Uh, It's well known that, uh, you know, they're among some of the you know, uh, initial first movers in the AI space. Mm -hmm. They were the first to release their Echo family of smart speakers. They've been using it to track inventory, um, forecasting, those types of things for some time now. Um, I think essentially what you're going to see, and this is a big experiment for them. They have not announced any plans at this point to expand Um, beyond that initial test store. Um, That said, um, with the the bookstores that they've opened up, with the acquisition of Whole Foods last year, you add this into the mix. And I think eventually what we're going to see is they may roll that test out into some of their Whole Foods stores. um, And I think that could be a game changer for them. Yeah. Though management has been pretty mum about next steps for this. Uh, They refuse to comment on expansion, things like that. You do see a lot of opportunities, like you mentioned with Whole Foods and some of the other uh, business segments that they've jumped into, other projects and experiments they've jumped into to to roll out this technology and just learn more and more about uh, the kind of the consumer habits in store and how that can apply to various parts of the business. So moving on to our main topic now, Netflix unveiled its fourth quarter and full year 2017 report after market closed yesterday, so that was January 22nd. Before we dive into the actual results, Danny, though, um, I think it would be helpful for listeners to get some context and insight into what you usually focus on when you're deciphering Netflix earnings. So before we go to the actual report, those results, what were you watching, hoping to see? You know, Vince, every company is a little bit different, and Netflix has essentially created their own market. Their streaming didn't exist before a decade ago. They pioneered the concept, and and they also pioneered the concept of the low-price subscriber model month after month of, you know, video entertainment, Mm -hmm. initially with the DVDs. Absolutely. So because of that, and because they're such a high growth company, watching some of the normal metrics really doesn't give you the information you need to have. Um, Netflix wants you to watch um, their profit margins and their subscriber growth. Um, 
Personally, I, I still keep an eye on the revenue because that gives us a little insight not into the subscriber growth, but also the uh, ASP, the average subscription price that customers are paying. Um, that's another lever that Amazon can pull. You know that back in October, they rolled out a price change in their U.S. market and across some of their major European markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the watching the average selling prices watching the number of subscribers both internationally and domestically and watching the revenues is kind of the tack that I take. Awesome. It's good to have that context. The way I look at Netflix in some of these reports, uh, similar to what you mentioned, you have these high growth and stock market favorites companies. And you have to keep in mind the broader context of where the business currently stands and what expectations it'll have to live up to based on its valuation. Because in the case of Netflix, we have a company that's trading at over nine times its 2017 sales, and right around 200 times its earnings from that same period. So it's a pretty hefty premium for investors to have to stomach. And as you can imagine, expectations for the company are always high. But that's not really stopping the rally the stock has enjoyed in the past five plus years. And after yesterday's report, actually, Netflix shares, uh, as of uh, right before we came into the studio, they're up another 10% um, today already. So uh, without further ado, Danny, can you walk us through the bigger numbers and highlights, some of the ones, uh, the metrics, for example, that you mentioned uh, you'd be tracking and how the company actually fared for the fourth quarter and full year 2017? I think part of the reason that the stock is seeing such a big move today um, is because the subscriber growth um, not only beat analysts' expectations across the board, but it also beat Netflix' rather ambitious forecasts. Um, Netflix was uh, modeling for uh, just over uh, 6 million total subscribers. And they ended up, instead of with 6.3 million, they ended up with 8.3 million. So 2 million more than what they were looking for. Um, And that growth was not only limited to the international subscribers, which was expected. They expected to see high growth there. Um, But Netflix also added 2 million more subscribers in the domestic market. Um, They were only expecting just over one and a quarter million. And one of the things that that does is that silences the critics that say Netflix is, you know, becoming saturated in its domestic market. I mean, two million more subscribers in a quarter is pretty substantial. Yeah. The I think the total count now for that domestic business around 55 million and the long term projections from management, they've said that they see an opportunity around 60 to 90 million for the domestic market. So they're starting to approach that lower bound. But uh, despite uh, that that uh, penetration here in the U.S. market, still really impressive growth across the board in terms of that subscriber count. How about some of the other things that you were uh, really focused on? Well, I was also looking at the revenue. Um, a couple of things that stand out now, Netflix met Um, analysts consensus estimates for revenue and earnings per share. So there were no big surprises there. Mm -hmm. Um, They did beat a little bit on the top line of revenue. But one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that the ASP, the average subscriber price was up 9% year over year as some of the um, price increases they put into effect in October started to take hold. Okay. Okay. So 
even with Netflix approaching about 120 million subscribers worldwide now, um, they're still recording very consistent double-digit growth, um, and there's there's very little doubt that the company is still firing on all cylinders uh, in terms of its international ex- expansion, uh, their content pipeline, which we'll be talking about shortly, and then also just some the prestige of the original content that it is producing. So next up, we'll take a closer look at some of these efforts across the company and dive uh, a little bit deeper into the core metrics and numbers at Netflix. Thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool and Industry Focus. Harry's has stripped out the unnecessary features and the unnecessary costs to deliver customers the perfect razor at an amazing price. I've been shaving with Harry's for two years now, and in that time, I realized I've managed to save almost $100 a year by avoiding overpriced razors from the drugstore. And while Harry's helps me stick to my budget, a resolution I'm sure many fools have set for 2018, I'm enjoying the closest, most comfortable shave in my life with Harry's fantastic blades produced in-house at their own factory. Combined with Harry's great smelling shave cream and post-shave balm, my shave has become one of the few things in my day that always goes smoothly, something to look forward to each morning. In fact, over 3 million guys have already switched to Harry's to get a great shave at a fair price. And Harry's is so confident you're going to love their blades that they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com fool. Just pay shipping. Claim your free trial set from Harry's today, a $13 value for free when you sign up. Just cover the shipping. Your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. To get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash fool right now. That's harrys.com slash fool. All right, Danny, diving deeper into the quarter in 2017, I want to hear more your thoughts on some of the content uh, in terms of their spending and also their increased marketing that management spoke about during the the, the call and in the press release. So both of those are investments that will be going up in 2018. What's going on there? You know, Vince, Netflix has never been bashful about spending money on quality content. <laughs> yep. They said that that's the key differentiator um, for them. They are willing to spend the money. They said they're going to hire the talent. They're going to hire the people that can produce the best content, give them what they need to get it done, and just let them go without interfering. Um, so one of the things that I saw was that uh, Netflix management said that they're going to spend an estimated $8 billion, with a B, billion, uh, on content in 2018, um, which is higher than 2017. Um, the other interesting that, thing that they said was they're not stopping there. That number is going higher in 2019 and 2020. Now, Netflix has said that this content strategy is working based on revenue growth, based on subscriber growth, based on all of the testing that they do in their markets. And so they're going to continue to spend heavily. But one of the other things that they announced yesterday, and this is the first time I've heard about this, is that they're planning on increasing their uh, marketing spend from about one and a quarter uh, billion to about $2 billion um, in marketing. So that's about a 56% increase in the advertising that they're using to attract new subscribers. Yeah, and on the earnings call, Ted Sarandos, who is chief content officer at the company, he had a quote, I think, that really encapsulates how Netflix can spend so aggressively on content. He said, a good story told well is a global product. And that was in reference to some of their newer stuff, um, 
They had the movie Bright. Uh, they also had Stranger Things season two, which was a big hit. So the great content that Netflix turns out, uh, the films and TV series that get a lot of good uh, rave reviews, they've got a ton of award nominations and wins recently. The company has already invested and developed the means of distribution to its uh, you know, over 100 million subscribers. So that quality content can reach an audience without borders there. And in terms of the international audience, I think that was another major area of progress. The international expansion is about two years old now. The company is still establishing its audience in some newer markets. Uh, what did the company have to say about its international segment? Well, Vince, they, you know, that they're pretty excited about the fact that international subscriber base is growing as quickly as it is. Um, and I focused in on one key comment um, when an when the analyst on the conference call asked them, you know, how was the international growth going? Could they call out any key markets? You know, how are things doing in Asia? And management initially said, you know, we're not really going to call out specific geographies. Mm -hmm. However, they said initially what we're seeing is that growth across the world looks like it did in Latin America a couple of years in. And that was pretty key for me because I covered this information uh, earlier, well, uh, probably late last year, looking at you know how some of their earlier international markets were going. And Latin America was one of those. Um, and looking at some statistics here, um, Netflix first entered the market of Brazil in 2011. Um, by four years later, um, they had achieved a 44% penetration in that market. And surveys done last year by RBC Capital uh, showed that 77% of Brazilians watch Netflix, up from 71% the year earlier. So, I mean, that's huge, 77%. Mm -hmm. um, and of those people that watch Netflix... 90% of the subscribers were either extremely satisfied or very satisfied with the service. Um, now, you know, there's some other, they've done similar surveys in the UK, in France, in Germany, and they're seeing essentially the same thing across the board is that the penetration levels are there, uh, particularly, um, you know, looking at where we are in the United States, the U.S. market has over 50% penetration, although they haven't said exactly how much. But if they can achieve those type of penetration levels in their international markets over time, uh, this Netflix train is not going to stop. Sure. And what uh, that tells me, too, is they have these various uh, markets where they've tested and they've seen really strong progress and they can take that model that they develop and apply it to the two areas where they don't have as high penetration. Um, and it's all ties into their content strategy. They're producing more and more originals uh, across the world, all different languages catered to all these different audiences and markets. And at the same time, those can have a global appeal as well. You'll have hits that will work internationally and in the US market. And that is just all coming together for the company. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, some of the risks and challenges for this company. Before we do that, I did want to round back and talk a little bit about the bottom line for the company. Um, they had some uh, updates on their contribution margin and uh, the profitability there. Can you just give us uh, 
a, a quick overview on how that's looking and how that's kind of piecing together for the company? Well, sure. And contribution margin is is a non-gap measure. It's yes. something that Netflix came up with because they believe that it will provide investors with a clearer picture of where the company is going, where the growth is. Um, and so their contribution margin is the combination of revenues less uh, the cost of revenues and the marketing expenses. And they uh, reveal what that number is every quarter, you know, going back for quite some time. Um, so in this most recent quarter, um, the contribution margin in its domestic market was 34%. Um, looking internationally, the contribution margin was only uh, 8%. So essentially over time, once Netflix gets done building out their library of content, in a particular geography, um, that contribution margin is going to increase. Essentially, they're going to be able to make four times the amount of money or five times the amount of money in each international region that they're making currently, which is really going to drive those profits. Yeah. And there was a big swing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was saying there's a big swing, too, for that international contribution margin. Uh, you mentioned it was at 8%, but that was a swing from negative levels uh, around that same percentage. So uh, a complete reversal uh, for this latest quarter, too. And and that's something that, that Netflix telegraphed. Um, you know, about a year ago, they were saying that the, the contribution margin internationally was going to improve substantially, um, but they were still expecting it to be negative. But as they got into the year and as they got so many more international subscribers than what they were forecasting, the international contribution margin actually went positive this year sooner than what Netflix management had anticipated. Okay. All right. So rounding out now uh, this discussion of the results, um, I do want to address some of the risks and challenges that the company might encounter. So management said free cash flow will be negative to the tune of 3 to $4 billion in 2018. Um, their debt actually uh, just about doubled to nearly $7 billion over the course of 2017. Does any of that ring any alarm bells for you? Or do you think that with the growth that the company is seeing, it warrants that kind of spending and a little bit more risk-taking? Well, I think we should say first that there are no guarantees. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's no such thing as a free ride. And what Netflix is doing is they are counting on subscriber growth and revenue growing faster than when the bills for these originals are going to come due. And so far they have done that just, you know, outstandingly. Um, that said, if at any point Netflix fails to deliver the subscriber growth that they have been delivering, those, those high numbers, um, they could run into trouble. Now for me personally, you know, I, I have been following this company since 2007. It is my largest holding by far um, in the interest of full disclosure. After today's move, it's back up to 20% of my portfolio. I don't recommend anybody else doing that, but I had a small initial investment in the company 10 years ago, and it's grown to that. Um, I don't see a problem. It doesn't ring any alarm bells for me because they have executed so well taking this domestic model and translating it to an international model and taking it around the world. Um, 
I, I think that Netflix is, is right on the ball with what they're doing. Um, the other thing that's important to mention, and they mentioned this on the call yesterday, is that when they pay for an original, they're paying for it one to two to three years before that ever airs. Yes. Yeah, I and remember so, Manage mentioned that a few times as well. Yep. So, you know, they're paying for stuff now that we're not going to see for a couple of years. Um, and at any point, if they see subscriber growth slowing, they're going to be able to, you know, dial back that spend on original content um, for going forward. And all they have to do is meet their current obligations. So I, I don't think that's an issue. It's something that bears watching, but they've been able to navigate that successfully so far. So I don't think it's going to be a problem. Okay. And last thing. Uh, that I wanted to touch on uh, before we close out here. So on the competition front, I want to spend a few minutes just talking about uh, the competitive landscape here. You know, we think about uh, the direct ones like Hulu, Amazon, HBO. There's a bunch of new services incoming in 2018 and beyond. Do you think that might be a headwind for Netflix? You know, I, I think what's happening, and you see this more and more, particularly with millennials, um, one of the things that you're seeing is they are not signing up for um, cable packages. They are not watching that much linear TV. Um, everybody is watching Netflix. Everybody is watching. Um, you've got a lot of people watching Amazon Prime. You have a lot of people watching, uh, as you said, uh, HBO um, Go, um, Showtime, CBS All Access. And they're combining services. Um, there was a study not too long ago, and I don't have it in front of me, but I believe there was something like 36% of customers that have um, video streaming services subscribe to more than one. So I, I don't think it's going to be a zero-sum game. I don't think that you know, the, I, I think the encroaching competition bears watching, particularly when we're talking about you know, their chief competitors, Amazon Prime and Hulu. Um, but that said, I, I think the, the big loser in this trend is going to be linear TV and uh, the cable cutting, uh, sorry, cable companies uh, via cost cutting or cord cutting. They're, you know, people are giving up their cable packages. So I, I think this is, I think this is a basically a, a good for Netflix and the entire streaming industry. Yeah. After being the pioneer, as you mentioned earlier, you know, of all these services kind of jumping in, seeing the growth here. And I think that's really just widening uh, the base and the target market for Netflix among its competitors. And uh, I think that stat about people subscribing to multiple services is very important to keep in mind. It's, it is not a zero sum game. And uh, as I think with content being the lifeblood of this company, if uh, they're obviously investing heavily into that with that and staying focused on the quality of that pipeline. Um, the word of mouth, the marketing spending that they're doing, that'll all help uh, with their growth and, and kind of staying the, one of the leading services, the leading service uh, in this industry. Um, otherwise, uh, thank you so much, Danny, for sharing your thoughts on Netflix, on Amazon. Uh, it was great to have you back. I appreciate it, Vince, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, fools, for tuning in. Uh, Austin Morgan's the producer uh, for Industry Focus. People in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on.